Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. And let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Let's just bow in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us through your word. Lord, help us to understand the truths that you would have in store for us. And Lord, help us to see the, the, the principles that you have laid out through the apostles' words, which are really your inspired word that has been given to us to speak to us and through all Christians in the future. Lord, now we pray that your spirit would guide and direct our, our lesson this morning and that he would be our teacher. This we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen. It's very interesting, the Apostle Paul is coming to the conclusion of his letter, and he's been, the theme of his letter has been grace. Uh, grace is the means by which you're saved and not works. And the whole letter is written because the false teachers and Satan is behind every false teacher that has ever come into the world because he desires to undermine and destroy Christians' faith. He desires to keep people who are unsaved in darkness and in rebellion to God. And, and uh, what he does is oftentimes he'll bring false teaching into the church to try and destroy uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what was happening in the churches at Galatia. The Apostle Paul, is, as he's coming to the conclusion of his letter, is coming and he's drawing some final uh, thoughts in dealing with uh, the whole concept of works of the flesh, works of the Spirit, what should be our response as a believer in Jesus Christ with the way we live our lives. And in this text this evening, or this morning rather, that we're looking at, the Apostle is dealing with the concept of what do you do with what God gives you, and also how do you live your life in what manner, what are, is the purpose of your living. And this morning I want us to begin by looking at verse 6. He says, Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teaches all good things. Now one of the things that oftentimes we don't do is show appreciation to those that uh, bring us the word of God and are faithful to the word. Uh, in the day in which we live, it's harder and harder to find men of God who are willing to commit to the word of God and stand against all of the false teachers that are out there, all the pressure from the world that is out there to take a stand on the absolute truth of God's Word. What Paul is saying is if you have men that take this stand, you need to respect and honor those men. And it's a done, and he, he really, there's three ways that he talks about it. The first way that he talks about it is finances, financial support. Oftentimes we hear of ministries, and I've been listening to some of them, uh, and uh, they are struggling financially. If you look at the uh, David Hawking uh, and Hope for Today, oftentimes this time of year, he struggles. 
Uh, we were just listening uh, to another ministry that is a solid, and uh, it's uh, uh, the ministry of, of J. Vernon McGee. And at this time of year, uh, they ask uh, if you have extra money that you could send in, they'd really appreciate it. Why? Because a lot of people, they go on vacation and they think that going on vacation means you no longer have to give to God's work. And during the summer, a lot of ministries struggle because people that normally would give, quit giving. But Paul is saying here, if God has blessed you with someone, you need to honor them uh, and show your uh, respect and what God is doing and speaking to you through them. And what Paul is saying here also is, not only with your finances, because some of us are limited in our financial ability to give, and we can't give a whole lot, but each one of us can pray, and each one of us can come before the Lord. And you know something? The Lord knows where uh, the needs are in people's lives. He knows what the struggles are. And He also knows that men uh, that are committed to God's Word are going to be under constant spiritual attack by Satan because He doesn't want them to preach. He doesn't want them to speak the Word of God. He doesn't want them to hold a solid position uh, on the authority of God's Word. And so they need our prayers, probably in many cases, more than our money. And a lot of times, Satan, I don't know about you, but with me, I oftentimes I will sit down and I have full of good intentions of spending time in prayer with the Lord. And isn't it those times that the phone starts ringing? Somebody's at the door. Uh, all of a sudden, uh, you're, you, you're very tired and you start to, to have trouble concentrating and, and, uh, and, and remembering your thoughts and what you want to bring before God. Uh, why is that? Because Satan knows that the power of prayer and coming before the Lord in prayer. Uh, the Apostle Paul knows that power. It's interesting. In God's Word, the Apostle shares uh, the fact that, that uh, we are to pray. If you turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 25, Paul shares the importance of prayer uh, with the church at Thessalonica. Uh, and if anyone would know uh, the importance of prayer, it would be the Apostle Paul. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5, uh, verse 25. Uh, Paul says the following. Brethren, pray for us. Now why would he say that? If you look at the context of that verse... He's talking about uh, a whole bunch of commands that he's giving to the church on which they are to be more effective in their Christian living in the church at Thessalonica. It starts uh, beginning, uh, well, back at the beginning of chapter 5, but it really comes in earnest where he hammers home just individual thoughts on what we are to do. Beginning at verse six, uh, 16, or verse 15, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but even... Uh, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Uh, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesyings. Prove all things. Be, uh, hold fast to that which is good. 
abstain from all appearance of evil. And in every, and, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with all a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the, ho the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Paul mentions prayer three times in there. He talks about pray without ceasing. He talks about prayer with thanksgiving. And he says, pray for us. Why would Paul say pray for us? You know, you stop and think about it. If there was ever a man that was walking in the power of God's Spirit, it was the Apostle Paul. If there was ever a man that was given gifts of the Spirit, it was the Apostle Paul. If there was ever a man who was filled with a desire to share the gospel and evangelize the unsaved, it was the Apostle Paul. If there was ever a man who walked fearless before the Lord, it was the Apostle Paul. Yet what does he covet? He covets the people's prayers. Why? Because they're praying for him. God's Spirit is, is ministering not only to him, but them as well. And also they are becoming part of his ministry. And their prayers are being answered through him. Do you realize you begin to pray for men that, of God that are committed to the Word of God and they begin to be used by God? Your prayers are working through them and you're part of their ministry and God is using, by extension, you to help reach people through them? We're called to do that. We're also called to pray without ceasing for one another as believers in Christ. You know something? I believe there'd be no problems in the churches at all if people really prayed for one another. If you're really praying for all your brothers and sisters, can you be harboring ill will or, or, uh, or anger against them? The answer is no, because you're going to be concerned about them and concerned about their needs and concerned about that the Lord would be working in their lives and using them to fulfill His uh, uh, purposes in this world. And so prayer is of, of, of the utmost importance. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul again mentions to the church at Corinth in verse 11. He says, If I have sown unto you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we reap uh, your... Uh, is it... I'm sorry. If, I have, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing... Uh, if we reap your carnal things, in other words, if we need financial help, uh, will you be there for us? And then he goes on, if others be partakers of this power over you, are you not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the, of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers of the altar. Even so, when the Lord ordained that we should preach the gospel, should live the, of the gospel. And there he's speaking again of the material needs that the, the ministers and those proclaiming the truth of God's word would have, and that as they are being blessed, that people would meet their material needs. If you turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 
verse 1. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Finally, brethren, pray for us. At the word of that the word of the Lord have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. Are you praying for one another and praying for me and praying for uh, others around that, that God would, His Word would go forth through us? You know, uh, some of you, uh, when you were taking your trips, I don't know if you knew it or not, but we were praying back here for you that God would be able to use you on your trip, on your vacation to meet people and that you'd have opportunities to share the Word of God with people on your vacation that otherwise you'd never have an opportunity to meet. And we need to be praying for one another that that would happen, and that we would walk in His power and His might and His authority, and that God would use us to share uh, His Word with others. And then also, if you turn with me to James chapter 5, verse 16, uh, James chapter 5, verse 16. James says, Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. I think a lot of times we don't believe that today. You see, what's happened is we've quit praying and we trust instead in the things of this world. Many churches today are much more concerned about functions and all kinds of activities than they are about prayer. But I want you to know something. It's amazing. If you go and look and read uh, in books on prayer by men who have been committed to pray and understand the power that God uh, gives to those uh, in prayer when they take their concerns before the Lord, it's amazing what they could do. Uh, there have been kingdoms that have uh, been raised up and fallen down through prayer. If you go back to the Old Testament, it's an amazing thing. Uh, a couple of the, the kings of Israel that were good kings were Jehoshaphat and Hezekiah. Both of those men were faced with what it seemed to be impossible tasks. Things that, that, uh, that they could never overcome. Both men had enemies at their doorstate surrounding the nation, the city of Jerusalem. Both men had a choice on what they were going to do. They could gather their armies, which were outmanned, outnumbered, outgunned. They didn't have the chariots. They didn't have the modern weapons of their days that their enemies had. But instead of getting their armies together that would have been a massacre in all likelihood, they went to the Lord in prayer. Jehoshaphat... Uh, uh, it says, went out and the, the nation, that his enemy around them, when he went out to the camp, they were all destroyed. They went before the Lord. It said, the Lord told them to go forth and put the music and praises of the Lord to go before the soldiers. Can you imagine that in our modern army? If you're going to battle, you break out the band, you break out the singers, you have them go first and they're singing praises to God. And then behind them you have the army coming. And by the time you get there, the other army is dispersed and dead or gone and defeated. 
Why? Because God heard and answered their praises and prayer. You see, oftentimes we don't think about prayer. We don't think about praising. We don't think about the things that we should do. Instead, it's easy to fall into the world's way of doing things. And Paul is telling us prayer. Prayer, prayer. Cease without praising. Pray for us. Remember us in, our, in your prayers. Well, what does the Lord tell us? Go back to Galatians chapter 6. Who is in control and who knows all things? It's the Lord. Sometimes we forget that. Uh, sometimes we forget who is all-powerful, who is the one that possesses all truth and all knowledge. And we forget what the Lord says. He says, bear, uh, in verse 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Now why is Paul sticking this in after he talks about supporting those that are good, solid teachers and supporting those that have helped you to grow in the Lord financially and in, their, in your prayer life and encouraging them and being there to be there, assist them in the work. Uh, why all of a sudden does he go, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that will he also reap. You know, a lot of times, I believe that it's very easy for us to fail to think about that our, our actions have consequences. Our decisions result in, 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 act, in things happening. Yeah, the Apostle Paul is telling us here the concept of sowing and reaping. Uh, Jesus knew that concept well, and he uh, would uh, use it in various parables uh, throughout uh, the, the ministry to the disciples on earth. You remember there's one parable that he talked about, and if you go to the Middle East, they, have, uh, they grow wheat in the Middle East, but they also have another weed in the Middle East that's called a tave. And if you, uh, if you uh, have this other plant... It looks just like the wheat uh, when it first springs up. You cannot, you have to be really a, an expert agronomist in order to be, uh, to, to separate uh, the wheat uh, from the taves. And you see that, that what the Lord said in his, in his, his parable to the disciples is the fact that the enemy would come in and he'd sow this weed in amongst the wheat. And his whole point was to destroy the master's crop. And what he was intending to, do, to gain was that he would reap a destruction. And then the, the disciples said, well, what should we do? What should we do? Should we go out and try and pull out the weeds? And he said, well, first of all, it's going to be impossible for the average person to know who is the, who, what is the real one and what is the false one. So he said, wait until the harvest comes. And then what happens is when we bring them in, they will bear their fruit. You see, the wheat will bear fruit, it'll bear seeds, and what you'll do is you'll gather it up, and when you come out and you bring, come in, and they would, they would gather the crops with size back then, they'd cut it down and they put it into shocks uh, and gather it together, and he says what you can do is separate it at that time, because once it bore the fruit, you could tell the difference. 
Once it got to the point of bearing fruit, it was very easy to tell the wheat from the weed. And you could see that, that uh, the, the, what the weed was, and you could separate it out. And he says, then you separate it out, and the wheat will be thrashed and harvested, and the seed brought into, into the, the storehouse. But the weeds, they shall be cast into the fire. And the, the, the man that had attempted to destroy the whole crop, getting you to go out and try and destroy it uh, before you knew what was what, he will bear his fruit. You see, we bear fruit with the decisions we make. Uh, and Jesus gave many examples of bearing fruit. Um, as Christians, we bear fruit. As Christians, we bear fruit. And sometimes the thing is, the Lord doesn't tell us, allow us to see the, the final outcome of that fruit, uh, in, maybe even in our lifetime. Uh, there are people that prayed for long periods of time and never saw in their lifetime the full answer to their prayers, but it was fulfilled. And you can think of examples. I've given examples before of men and women who shared the gospel, went out and shared the gospel uh, many times and never saw people come to Christ and thought they'd done nothing uh, in, in, in bearing fruit for the Lord, yet only to have people travel around the world and meet people who had, had heard the gospel and received a tract from that person when they were visiting in the city where that person lived. And then they went back to their home and they read the gospel. God's Spirit worked on them. They became Christians. One man uh, in specific was a little man in Australia uh, who had, uh, was a, had gotten saved as a sailor. He'd been just a, a, a scoundrel when he was a young man, a sailor, uh, doing all kinds of despicable things that sailors often do. God saved him. And when God saved him, he promised the Lord, I'm going to give, I believe it was 10 people a day, a tract every day, the rest of my life. The rest of his life, he would go on the streets of Sydney and he would pass out tracts to people. And he'd come and he'd talk to them, he'd pass out a tract, and if they'd talk, he'd talk, and if they wouldn't, he'd still give them the tract. And he went his whole life and thought he had never touched anybody with the tracks, but he'd been faithful. Well, there was an evangelist who was traveling to various places around the world. He went to England to put on some conferences. While he was in England, he was talking to people about how they'd gotten saved. And some people said, you know, I was in visiting Sydney, Australia. This funny little man came out and he gave me a tract and then he disappeared. I never saw him again, but I read that tract. God convicted me of my need to come to, him, to come to Jesus. The man went on and he traveled uh, to other portions of the world. And all of a sudden he started hearing the same story from people all over the world who'd been to Sydney, Australia. And they'd gotten this tract. This little man had thought that he had never reached anybody for the gospel. Angelus was supposed to go to Sydney to put on uh, a message. He went to the, the city, and he said, I need to find this little old man. And so he went to the street where these people said that they had found him, and he asked, do you know of uh, a, an older man that passes out literature? 
And they said, well, we haven't seen him for a while, but he would always come here, and I think that he lives up in an apartment over in that area. The man went and he searched and he found this little old man. He was not doing well health-wise. And as the evangelist came in, he came in and he talked to this little old man and he said, I just wanted to come and meet you. Someone who was so faithful in their commitment to the Lord that when you said, when you got saved, I'll pass out ten tracts a day for the rest of my life. You've done it. And the man said, oh, but I don't think it made any difference. I don't think it made any difference. Because I never saw anybody come to Christ. And the evangelist said, you don't know. There are people all over the world that you've made a difference in their lives. And I've met them. And they said, I got saved when this little man came and gave me a tract. And I read that tract, and God's Spirit came upon me and convicted me, and I cried out to the Lord. And they're all over the world. Your fruit has borne great things for the kingdom of God. You see, that is what it's talking about here. Paul is talking about the importance of bearing proper fruit. And he says here, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth in the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. You know, uh, what is reaping the flesh reaping corruption? I can think of another man who's an old man. He's still alive today. This man is weeping corruption all over the world. He has come, if you said he came from the line of a, uh, of of Jacob, Abraham, Jacob, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's from that physical line. But he's rejected the God of the Bible. So much so that he does everything in his power to destroy truth. Because God stands for truth. And he has become a multi, multi, multi-millionaire. And he has used his, comp- his money to, to wave destruction all across the world. In America, he, ca- he pays people to riot and to cause problems. He is reaping destruction. He thinks that he's clever because he's got so much power in this world. He's got so much money. He's got so much authority. But one day he'll have to stand before the Lord and realize that he has caused literally thousands of people to follow in his footsteps in rebellion against God and rebellion against the truth of this word. man's name is George Soros. You've got a little man in Sydney, Australia that the world would say is meaningless. You've got another man who's a billionaire who the world would say, he's got all kinds of power and authority. I should run to him. But one is reaping the fruit of the flesh and the other is reaping the fruit of the Spirit. And one God will look upon with great blessing and the other will hear, depart from me for I never knew you. And Paul is saying, as believers in Jesus Christ, we are called to bear fruit for the kingdom of God and not for the flesh.
Paul knew exactly what he was talking about. If he knew of anybody that had done both, it was the Apostle Paul. Prior to his conversion, he had seen Christians thrown in prison and put to death. He had sought to stamp out the church. He thought that the church needed to be stopped, that this sect of Jesus needed to be uh, stamped out and all that would follow him punished until he met the Redeemer face to face. And Paul was transformed into a new creature. And he no longer bore the fruit of the flesh, but he bore the fruit of the Spirit. And he also bore the marks of Christ. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We don't know when our, what our fruit is. But if we're faithful, God has said that He will bear fruit through us. That's through you and me. And so we're called to be fruit bearers for the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not the amount, but it's the faithfulness. It's the faithfulness. Remember Jesus uh, gave the example of the, the, the stewards that were entrusted, one with uh, ten a dollar went with uh, ten units, another with five units, and one with one unit. And the one with ten was faithful and went out and got ten more. The one that was five was faithful and went out and got five more. And the one that had one unit, he went and buried it in the ground. And when the, his master came back, he told his master, well, I knew that you were hard. I knew that you, were, uh, that you would demand of me. And so I went, so I would not lose this one. I went and buried it in the ground. And the master c- condemned him and said, it would have been better for you if you had just taken it and put it in the bank and got usury or interest on it. At least you'd have something to show me. But you buried it. And so I'm going to take that one which was yours and I'm going to give it to the one that had ten. And, uh, and, and you shall be punished. He says you shall be cast into outer darkness. It wasn't. Why? Because he had no faith. He had no trust. He didn't believe. It wasn't the amount, but it was the faith that they possessed that would bear the fruit in their lives. Jesus, Paul is talking about grace and works. Grace and works. It's by the grace of God that we can bear fruit, not by our own works. You see, if, our, if it's by our own works, we're like that guy with the one, uh, the, the one penny that went and buried it in the ground and uh, was going to make sure he didn't lose it, but he didn't gain anything by it because he had no faith. He had no faith. He had no trust. And Paul says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Now, how do we do that? Some people take this out of context and think that every person that comes with a need, if you're a Christian, you have to meet that need. If it's a physical need, you have to meet it. You have to meet the need. No, we don't have unlimited resources. But we have something to give and to offer that can transform lives. 
And we are the only ones that possess that power and that gift. We're to, to give the gift of salvation freely to all who will come and offer it to them and proclaim it to them and, and tell them to repent and turn to Jesus and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And we're not to be respecters of persons. We're not to determine who should hear the gospel and who shouldn't. But rather, we need to bring it to all men, that all men could be saved. But also, there is times where God gives us opportunities to meet physical needs. And he says, especially amongst the brethren. James talks about it as well where he says, if you know a brother who's in need and you have the means by which to help that brother and you fail to help him, you're worse than an infidel. Why? Because what have you done? God has given and entrusted to you a physical possession that would enable you to help someone, a, a Christian brother in need. And he's talking specifically about Christians here. Those that are fellow believers. And if we know a fellow believer who's in need and we have the ability to help, God tells us, help them. Help them. We don't know how they may be praying that God would meet a need. Uh, again, you can look and, and get his book, uh, the biography uh, of George Mueller, and look at a man who lived his whole life basing it, not trusting God to fulfill his needs and not knowing where they'd come from. There would be times that he needed uh, finances, a specific amount of money to meet payments. He ran orphanages and he uh, paid for the orphanages through gifts, through faith giving. And it was faith giving that was real faith giving. Not like today where you have the faith preachers that stand up and I'll send you a handkerchief that I've prayed over if you send me $1,000 and then God's obligated to give you 10000 back. That's not what George Mueller did. That's, that's uh, lying and it's not biblical. What George Mueller did is he had a need, he'd pray. Lord, I have a need. You know that I have this need. You know how much money I need. You know when I need this money. You know what this money is for. It's for your kingdom. It's for, your, for reaching these children with the gospel. And I need this much money. He would uh, not take it and write. He didn't even write letters to people. Like is a common practice today. We oftentimes will write letters for our financial needs. He didn't do that. He took it to the Lord. One day, George Mueller had been told, if you don't meet this financial payment on your ability, we're going to have to look at you shutting the orphanages down. George Mueller prayed, and he said, Lord, you know this. You know that you've called me to this work. You know that you've called me to minister to these children. The day that the money was needed, there was a knock at his door, and there was a man from, uh, I don't know what England's equivalent to Western Union is, but it was there with a check for George Mueller. The check was to the exact amount. It wasn't a penny more. It wasn't a penny less than what George Mueller needed to meet that obligation. On the very day, the obligation needed to be met. 
He looked at the check and where it had come from. It had come from the United States. Back then, they didn't have wire service like we did today. uh, And they didn't have airplanes. They had to be shipped. If you sent something, it was put on a boat in New York and sent to London. And it would take... Uh, it could take up to a week and a half to two weeks to get there. This check had been made out two weeks prior. It had come on a ship. It had arrived on the very day that George Mueller needed it to arrive at. He looked at the check. It was made out to the exact amount that he needed. He didn't know this person. Never talked to this person. What had happened? God had laid on this person's heart. There's a ministry. That ministry needs money. This is the amount of money they need. You have that money. I blessed you. Send it. Does God still do that today? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. He hears and answers our prayers today, but we have to be open to be used by Him to call out when we have a need And to listen when we can help fulfill a need. And Paul tells us that. And it's fruit and it's blessing that comes to the believer. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. Especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Or of the household of faith. I was reading in closing... In the Friends of Israel article, this quarterly article, she was talking about the fact that they had a man that came there and he's, they tested him because he had so much joint pain. And they saw him and he'd come on crutches to their clinic and they knew how much pain he had to be in because he was a very stoic, prideful man who would never ask for help. But he came in, and he was in such terrible pain. They ran tests, and he had uh, a genetic disease that resulted in his joints being inflamed and painful. And he said, I think that God will have to allow me to go to heaven because of all the pain I've suffered on earth. They asked him, they said, well, what we will do is we'll minister to your physical needs. We can't guarantee we'll take away the pain, but we'll help you in what we can. But we have a Bible study, and we'd like to have you come and join us. I don't know if that man became a Christian. I didn't get to the end of the article. But he did start attending the Bible study with him. And he started hearing about the Messiah who came to take our stripes upon Him and to take our diseases upon Him that we could be forgiven of our sins and that we could have eternal life beginning today. Will you be used by God to bless those who bless you as far as biblical teachers, to be open to pray for those who try to invest their lives in you and to be committed to pray for them? Will you be committed like this, uh, this little old man to bear fruit for the kingdom of God even though you may never see the fruit bore? Will you seek to be used by God? Or are you going to be 
like the men of this world who take all of the resources they have to, to bear destruction and death and rebellion against God. The choice is ours, and God calls us, and He says, if you're a Christian today, we're called to bear fruit for the kingdom, not fruit for the flesh. May we truly be used of God to bear His fruit. This we'd ask in Jesus' name. Let's just close in prayer. Lord, I pray that You would help us to bear Your fruit. Lord, I pray that You would help us to keep our eyes upon You. Lord, I pray that You would help us to uh, take the things that You entrust us with and use them wisely for the furtherance of Your kingdom and to proclaim Your Word. Lord, now I pray that You would go with each one that's here today that knows You as their Lord and Savior and that they, we would be truly become fruit bearers for the kingdom. We would become men and women who would pray, men and women who would use our financial resources for the furtherance of Your kingdom, men and women who are committed to serving You and allowing you to, to perform miracles with what we give you, that you may receive the glory and the praise. This we'd ask in Jesus' name. Amen.